1: To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Throughout the pandemic, Americans went on a fast furniture buying spree, and very soon, it could all be going in the trash. Fast furniture is mass-produced and relatively inexpensive. Think of something you might find at IKEA or Wayfair. Each year, we throw out more than 12 million tons of furniture And some of the materials in fast furniture don't break down or biodegrade. These items are only meant to last about five years or so. So the next spot for them is the landfill. For more on what to know about fast furniture, we'll speak to Deborah Kamen, contributor to The New York Times.
0: A lot of people think of fast furniture as only coming from stores like IKEA or Wayfair or Amazon. You think of the stuff that comes in the flat pack and you've got to put it together, you know, with the instructions that don't have any words. And that is all true. But according to some environmentalists, even the nicer stuff that some of us consider pretty expensive, like Crate and Barrel or cd 2 or West Elm, even are considered fast furniture because of the environmental impact of the way it's manufactured. It's made in a factory, mass-produced, so a lot of carbon emissions, a lot of waste. They also call that fast furniture.
2: As I mentioned, that five-year thing. You know, some of this stuff they say, you know, it's not going to last that long, and we're looking for sturdier pieces. Maybe they can last a decade or longer that's the more sustainable stuff. It's just gonna not going to be thrown away as easily. So what's the worry now? Obviously, it's going to clog up landfills. Uh, and you, as you mentioned, the process behind making them obviously is wasteful too.
0: Right. So we're buying a ton more furniture, and the furniture we're buying is not made as well. It's made from materials that don't break down. And in essence, because we're putting it together in our homes, it doesn't last as long. So as it falls apart, what do you do with it? You throw it away. You're not going to take a lac table from Ikea and sell it on Craigslist for 20 bucks. It's not worth your time. I mean, you walk around the streets of New York City at the end of the month, you see furniture on the curb everywhere. That stuff ends up in landfills, and it's 450% more than it has been a couple of decades ago. We are throwing away so much furniture. A lot of Americans don't realize that the way that we furnish our homes now is having a huge impact on the environment.
2: Each year, Americans are throwing out more than 12 million tons of furniture and the e-commerce furniture market is worth 27 billion dollars this is from 2021 you know a lot of people don't obviously look into how the stuff's made and you know the after effects but people love this the fast fashion stuff you know is a comparable thing that a lot of people point to but the fast furniture stuff i mean it lets a lot of people really design their homes furnish their homes at a really good price point and obviously that's what a lot of people are looking into
0: Yeah, I mean, that's actually a key issue here. And I really wanted to emphasize this in the story that I wrote. This is not anybody's fault. And you shouldn't feel bad if you have fast furniture in your home. I have a Wayfair desk that I sit at that I wrote this article at. The problem is that furniture, the way it's manufactured now, it's so expensive to buy the good stuff that most people just can't. And we also move so frequently in our lives that it doesn't make sense to buy a $10,000 couch for most of us if we're going to have to move on from our apartment in six months. So we're all kind of trapped in this cycle where we have no choice except to buy stuff that is really not good for the environment.
2: And you mentioned buying that big couch, right? So even throughout the pandemic, a lot of people who were making some of those purchases know the pains uh, of trying to get furniture, right? Some of this stuff was, uh, you know, say, hey, uh, I want to buy a couch. Well, it's going to be seven, eight months maybe. And so the fast furniture category really filled that hole. You know, you maybe take you a couple weeks still or a few weeks to get something, but at least you can get something that you needed immediately. And and even with people that, landlords and stuff, people with uh, short-term rentals, all that stuff, really look to this category to fill their stuff.
0: Yeah, there are other options on the market. Increasingly, a lot of new companies are being founded that are trying to solve this problem and also fill the gap. So there's lots of new options to purchase furniture secondhand or to refurbish it. And I would really encourage people if they are concerned about fast furniture, but don't want to drop 10K on a couch, to look into those options in these new companies where you can buy things that maybe are gently used, but are still in really good condition. And the best thing about them is they're in stock. They don't have to be manufactured when you buy them.
2: Yeah, let's focus a little bit more on those. So uh, two that you mentioned in the article, one is Kayo and they're a marketplace Mm -hmm. for pre-owned furniture. They said they kept more than 3.5 million pounds of furniture out of refills. And another one is Furnish. So this is a rental subscription service.
0: Yeah, it's actually, it's more like a rent to buy. So you can rent furniture. But if at any point you think, wow, I really love this. Instead of paying, you know, $10 or $12 a month for the lamp or the chair, you can just pay out the rest at the end. But if you're locked in a six month lease, and you don't know if you're going to renew, it's a good option to buy furniture that maybe is slightly higher quality without having to pay the full price, because you're not going to be able to use it for an extended period of time.
2: What have some of these companies said for their part, at least uh, what they're trying to change, how they're trying uh, maybe not to contribute to a lot of waste? Uh, I know you spoke to uh, Wayfair and IKEA and got some types of statements from them.
0: Yeah, so Wayfair and IKEA, both, they are aware of the environmental impact of the work that they do, and they are making efforts to become more sustainable. And I want to say those efforts really are admirable. IKEA has a huge sustainability pledge. They're trying to make sure that they become carbon neutral by 2030. Wafer also has a lot of sustainability initiatives on their website. They're trying to use better materials and cut carbon emissions. The bigger problem is the fact that we are all refurnishing our homes every time we move. So even if you are using more sustainable practices, there's still a lot of waste every time you throw out furniture because furniture is not a a product that is very easy to resell. And that's why these other companies like Kayo and Furnish are stepping into that middle ground. So if you have a piece of furniture that you don't want to use anymore, there's an option for putting it into the circulation for someone else that doesn't involve just leaving it on the curb.
2: You spoke to a few people that either out of necessity had to go with the fast furniture stuff or there was also a homeowner that you spoke to that changed his mind about it and and actually learned Mm -hmm. how to make furniture so that he can furnish his his old uh, classic house. Uh, how, How did those conversations go?
0: Yeah, this was a fun piece to report because I talked to a lot of different people about all these different ways that they're living and how furniture kind of emphasizes their choices. But this one guy, Doug Green, he bought a 200-year-old house and he renovated it. And then he just decided, I spent so much time making the walls and the floors of these rooms beautiful, I don't want to buy cheap furniture to put inside of it. So he actually taught himself how to make his own furniture. So he built his own bed and he built his own table and he and his girlfriend made this into a, a project. This is obviously an extreme example, but I thought it was a very interesting take on someone saying, I don't want to have materials in my home that don't match the quality of the home itself
2: totally yeah i mean but uh, you're right there's a lot of time that goes into it and a lot of people and a lot uh, of privilege just can't do that yeah exactly so then uh you know as we mentioned right some of this fast furniture stuff the materials just don't biodegrade they don't break down the right way if we're in that category and we're looking at good price points is there something that consumers should be looking at to at least help with this
0: Yeah. I mean you can when you're looking to purchase furniture, first of all, one thing you can do is you can check online reviews, especially if you're buying something that's mass produced. So you can find out from those reviews how long these products tend to last and be durable. And if a lot of reviews are saying this piece broke after a year or this really didn't this bunk bed didn't hold up to my kids jumping on it or whatever, it's probably not a good idea to buy that product because chances are it's also not gonna last for you and you're gonna end up throwing it out. The other thing is you can try to find products that are made from solid materials as opposed to manufactured materials. The price point might be a little bit higher, but at least you know that you're purchasing something that when it's being manufactured, the production is slightly more sustainable than it would be if it were something like plywood or manufactured wood. And the best thing you can always do is try to shop secondhand. Try to shop by nothing. Try to you know purchase items that are already in circulation and don't have to be created new. And that's that's a sustainability rule for everything. For the clothes that we wear, right. we should all be trying to buy less and reuse more because climate change is real.
2: Deborah Kamen, contributor to The New York Times, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. It was fun. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic
3: policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.
2: Finally for this week, what does a road trip look like in an all-electric vehicle? For one reporter, it was kind of a nightmare. The trip did cost less money for fuel, but more time was spent charging than sleeping. To be clear, this trip used public charging infrastructure on a trip from New Orleans to Chicago and back. Not all chargers were fast chargers, and not all of them are created equal. Charging speeds varied every time. For more on her four-day EV road trip, we'll speak to Rachel Wolfe, Consumer Trends reporter at The Wall Street Journal.
3: Yeah, it was, you know, to put it mildly, a road trip from hell. Uh, <laughs> um, we The headline of the story is we spent more time charging than we spent sleeping. I went with my friend Mac and you no, wouldn't, know, wouldn't do it again anytime soon. I think a lot of it was traveling through the South where public charging infrastructure is particularly lacking. And, you know, it's really exciting, all the planned investments and there's promise of things getting a lot better. But for now, we were stuck with some... Um, Really slow with chargers and not a whole lot of options, especially between New Orleans and our first stop was in Nashville. Uh, we also drove back from Chicago because we had to return the rental car. And between Memphis and New Orleans was also pretty dicey. You know, right. if one charger was out of order, which thankfully they weren't, we really would have been even, even more screwed. Our 18 hours was you know, having things go about as well as they could have, uh, aside from the severe weather we experienced. But, um, you know, I I think,
2: yeah. And the weather and all that stuff, I mean, those are all things you're going to experience on a road trip. But the the particulars are having to deal with not stopping at a readily available gas station and filling up and going in a matter of minutes, right? Having to stay there and charge on uh, these chargers that sometimes aren't fast chargers, so let's talk a little bit about yeah. the parameters of everything. As I mentioned, you guys were in a Kia EV6. It was a 2,000 mile road trip. You used the PlugShare app, which has kind of a map of public chargers. Tell us how that worked out. Right.
3: So the PlugShare app tells you every place that you could possibly charge, uh, you know, in the whole country, um, and we sorted by fast. Chargers. actually they're a different color on the map and so you know we understand as somebody who reports on electric cars although i don't own one the difference between a fast charger which offers charging speeds uh, up to t- at 350 kilowatts which is super fast most most cars can't even accept that much power but there's a big range a bigger range than i knew going into the trip and all of my reporting you know i just knew that there were these three levels of chargers um and i never really thought more about it because i had never charged a car myself and i think that that would be a pretty you know It's a pretty typical thing to expect, a fast charger is fast. Um, We learned that that is not necessarily the case. There is this huge range, and fast chargers start at about 24 kilowatts, which the difference between 24 and 350 uh, is huge. It's the difference of spending three hours uh, walking downtown. To meridian mississippi because we don't want to stay at the kia dealership where our car is plugged in you know that charger had trouble even cracking 20 kilowatts yeah. so super super slow um we we're also we ended up needing to use a level two charger at one point because we just didn't make it to our next fast charger and where the fast where the true fast chargers are, they're great. Um, we had some really positive charging experiences as well, which I wrote about in the piece, you know, where it works, it really does work. And we didn't mind the half hour stops. You know, we would grab lunch, stretch our legs. That wasn't the issue. You know, stopping for half an hour really isn't going to be what, Changes your whole sure. day. So if you're planning a trip that's seven hours and it takes eight, whatever. If you're planning a trip that takes that's supposed to be seven hours and it takes fifteen,
2: uh, <laughs> which was yeah. what we experienced. So, you know, so, that's a little bit. So, so some of these fast charging stations, they'll say you know you can get eighty percent charge in about twenty to thirty minutes. Uh, as you mentioned, a lot of these uh, along the way sometimes are these lower level two chargers. So that's like an eight hour charge, uh, eight hours for a full charge. And you made mention right. in there article, right? So that's easy if you're staying somewhere overnight. That's a your exactly. overnight charge and you're totally cool. But, you know, as totally. you keep going along the road, yeah, you're going to have to uh, make these pit stops for some of them. And, you know, if it's not going to be that 30 minute charge, it's going to take three hours. And uh, you mentioned in the article, some of them took that long. That's when you start really pushing back the overall trip.
3: Exactly. Um, and that's when you start really wondering uh, what you're going to do for three hours in a place that you did not expect to be stuck in. Um, And so, and you're carless. And so, you know, we ended up getting a really nice meal in Meridian, Mississippi, um, but we hadn't planned for it and had to walk the 30 minutes downtown because our car was charging. So, you know, the charging stop might not be where you want to hang out.
2: You ran into a lot of people, obviously, along the way who were also charging. How did some of those conversations go? Because a lot of them overall still had pretty positive experiences, especially when you're seeing gas prices tick up. You know, they appreciated some of those things, but, you know, maybe they weren't on a a 2,000 mile road trip like you were. But uh, at least fill us in on some of the conversations you were having with other electric vehicle owners.
3: One. EV owner who has a Ford Mustang Mackie and he travels a lot for work and he drives his electric car all the time um, and has had a super positive experience and, you know, said that he feels a little bit smug with the gas prices up so much but the Midwest the charging infrastructure is a lot better than it is in the south um and he finds that he has more options he still has to plan his routes really carefully he was telling me that uh maybe he wouldn't want his wife going on a long road trip with the car because you know he'd be worried about her having to plan uh and you know, not making it, and, um, but he a strategy, and it, it really works for him. You know, he has to put a little bit more thought into it, but he saves. He says that he, you know, he saves thousands of dollars on gas, so it's awesome. So it's another woman who also really loves her electric car, but she was driving from her home. Uh, in St. Louis to Colorado for her daughter's wedding and had to be towed because she ran out of juice oh, on nice. <laughs> the highway twice. She had to be towed two different times. Um uh, wow. And, you know, that was a a few hours during the road trip, too, was having to be towed. And there was one moment where we thought we might have to be outside of Sykes in Missouri. Thankfully, uh, we made it to the gas station on zero percent, or to the charging station on (laughs) zero percent. The charging station was actually at a gas station, but, um, you know, you don't want to be the person who's. Branded because you can't just, you know, you could bring back a fuel tank, but you can't wheel a whole <laughs> a generator to
2: your car. What was the worst part of this whole experience? It could have been uh, hitting that gas station, that charging station at zero percent, but was that the worst thing that happened uh, on this journey with regards to the charging and all that? Uh, you know, what was the worst part?
3: I think that was most nerve wracking was Being at zero percent, you know, the conditions were so bad and we were kind of in the middle of nowhere um, and we really didn't want to have to call a tow truck. Um, And that was we had been on this road trip forever at that point and, you know, felt like we were never going to get home. So that was a that was a real low point of the trip. I think that another low was just realizing uh, in Meridian that we might not make it to Chicago. Yeah. Um, you know, we kind of felt defeated by that three-hour charging time where we were like, I guess we're not, you know, exploring Nashville. Um, you know, I just felt I felt guilty. I felt like I had really uh, <laughs> overpromised my friend. I was like, it'll be so fun. We'll get to hang out in all these cities. Um, we did not get right. any hanging out in, <laughs> in the city.
2: You mentioned in the story she had to get back for a shift at her job and, that you know, it was getting very iffy if you'd even make it back for that part of it right
3: too. it was it was really tight
2: <laughs> i love this story for a lot of different reasons but it's kind of a, a story of a typical person let's say hey i wanted to rent an electric vehicle let's try this road trip out any per normal person is going to pull out an app just like you did and say let's tr- map this trip along our charging stations and, uh, you know, so in that sense, it's it's a very typical type of story. I know you received a lot of feedback for this story. A lot of people may be saying, why didn't you rent a Tesla? Why didn't you use the Tesla network? That's all well and good, but that's not really the point, right? I, I love the point of that this is our public infrastructure of these public right. charging stations that we have right now. And that's such an important thing when we're talking about putting money into this and totally really making the future. Yeah, exactly. So how do you respond to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, we intentionally did not rent a Tesla um, because Teslas Teslas can charge uh, with public charging infrastructure, but only Teslas can charge using Tesla chargers. And so uh, the Kia is more affordable for more consumers, um, and you know it's one brand versus you know potentially. I any, any and every brand yeah. of electric car. So while Teslas make up a big percentage of the electric car market right now, um, when we're thinking about the future of electrification, you know, it's not just one company. And so um, I didn't, I've never driven a Tesla. I, I don't have any experience. I have nothing against Tesla. Um, but uh, it was intentional that we, didn't, that we didn't use a Tesla for this trip. Um, and you know probably i believe the owners would say it would have been would have been easier with one but that was the point you know so that we would have a bad time it was to see you know can you do it you know cars these cars are getting so much more popular so exciting but you know what would happen if you try to drive to chicago nothing good
2: rachel wolf consumer trends reporter at the wall street journal thank you very much for joining us thanks so much for having me that's it for this weekend be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend
1: Edition.